Welcome. Welcome to another episode of the Impact of AI sponsored by AI Time Journal. Each week we explore how AI and cognitive technologies impact us daily, both professionally and personally. For those of you whom I've not met yet, my name's Melissa Drew. I will be your host for this week's podcast. This week we are extremely honored with us today is Dr. Eloise Epstein, digital futurist, keynote speaker and author. Dr. Epstein is a partner with Carney, a global management consulting firm, and has over 20 years or two decades of experience working as a trusted advisor developing digital procurement supply chain strategies. Now, most notably, she is a author. Uh, I believe your book just got published last month. Was that correct? Yep, in August. Yep. Yep, so her book just got published last month. This one is labeled, it's called Trade Wars, Pandemics, and Chaos, How Digital Procurement Enables Business Success in a Disordered World. But she's also co-author of another book called Disruptive Procurement, Winning in the Digital World, Doing the Right Things in Procurement. Welcome. Thank you. And thank you for such a wonderful opening. Oh, yes, yes. This is going to be really, really good. Now, one of the things we get started with is recognizing that not everyone's path is a direct path to where they are today. And most notably, even though you have been with Carney for quite some time, you didn't start out in digital transformation. You started out as a webmaster and more specifically working in e-commerce with San Francisco Opera. So I'd love to hear the story about how you started there to where you are today. Yeah, so I started in, uh, in, in back in right around 2000 with uh, sorry, around 90, getting my t- decades all messed up. Um, <laughs> in 1998 with uh, San Francisco Opera, and it was a transformative time. Uh, there was a lot, that was when the dot-com was really uh, starting to burgeon, and um, you had a lot of tech uh, people, executives, tech executives on the opera's board, so the opera was one of the first, or San Francisco Opera was one of the first to really fully embrace digital and web technology. And as such, they hired somebody to manage all, we, we'd call, probably call it head of you know, digital whatever today, <laughs> but back in the day, it was just this generic catch-all webmaster. And, and what was interesting is they were early on into online ticket sales and online subscription renewals. Because at least here in San Francisco, uh, the first day that sa- that season tickets go on sale and, and uh, or the tickets go on sales, they'd have a line all the way around the block, down the street, and they used to. It was so popular that they would like you know uh, uh, web, web stream the the line. <laughs> but over the course of like three or four years, they put in online ticketing, and then that line got smaller and smaller, and then there was really no line anymore. And, and I think that's kind of emblematic of this whole digital revolution. And, and so I was there for two, two years and just at this thrust going into 2000 of mm-hmm. the, the big change and the big money and going in. And it was you know here in San Francisco and you could feel it, you could see it even much more so than now, even though it seems like technology has taken over the entirety of San Francisco. But back then you could you could really feel in the air. And so I decided to, I left the opera to go to a small fledgling startup named Abbreviate, which was in the reverse auction business. And 
we were all at the time owned by EDS, which also owned Carney at the time. Yep. And so uh, to make a long story short, we got uh, we got embedded within Carney. Carney spun itself, bought itself out from EDS, and the rest is, as they say, history. Oh my gosh, that's great. So uh, so let's talk a little bit about what you do today. So skipping forward 20, 25 years, what do you do today? So today I help uh, Fortune 100, 500 companies do their digital procurement and supply chain strategies. And I look at a future back. So if you're going to go implement a source to pay system, if you're going to implement an ERP system, you're not coming to Carney and you're certainly not coming to me. Mm-hmm. But you are coming to, to us if uh, you have a failed implementation of either of those two. If you have, if you have a multiplicity like ten or fifty or two hundred ERP systems, and you're trying to get this end-to-end visibility, much less capability across your supply chain, you are coming to experts like like within Carney and and myself to really help. Okay. We, we are in the, we need to get to the future and we we're kind of stuck. And I like to use the analogy that it's like you bought a new car and you're gonna go drive from Los Angeles to Las Vegas and you know, you've gone a hundred miles and then you drive the car into the ditch, get out, you know, set the car on fire and then you're standing there trying to figure out how you're gonna get the rest of the way on your journey. So I, I, we're, we, I am the one to call when you're in that situation. I was like, who do you call? <laughs> Not Ghostbusters. Yeah. Dr. yeah. <laughs> I love it. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. um, so I invited you and, and we talked about this, you know, before, but I invited you here because you're, you're not doing AI, you're not developing the models, you're not a data scientist, but you are uniquely positioned in that you're talking to these CPOs and, you know, chief supply chain officers and the C-suite about what this organization is going to look like as it's impacted with all of these AIs and cognitive technologies that, and and the the circulating buzzwords that, that we currently hear. So I know you have a very unique perspective that I wanted to add your voice into this podcast. Yeah, and I think this is probably my biggest hot button. And uh, uh, because let's just go, let's go right to the yeah. the who is the buyer, the the CPO or the the chief supply chain officer. They're not going to buy AI, right? And like, because what are you buying? You're not. Like, you're not going to go to AWS or Azure and buy all these models. Like, it's too abstract for them. Mm -hmm. And yet, every consultant that walks in their door, every startup that walks in their door, even the big vendors, the SAPs, Oracles, and uh, Coopas of the world are walking in there like, AI this, AI that, machine learning this. Mm -hmm. And it's just this constant steady state of, of buzzwords. And, and actually, if I can just take a detour for a moment and yeah. I'll come back to your question. So what I, one thing I do and I'm known for is introducing startups to these executives. And what I do is I curate them and pre-pandemic, I bring the, they would all come to San Francisco to the Kearney office and we do these immersion days and very, very successful. But what I noticed and, and the, the executive noticed it too is 
when you sit for two days and you listen to 12, 14, 16 sort of startup pitches, there's it's all the same. AI, blockchain, mm. machine learning, RPA, you, you can fill in the blank with the buzzword. And and it became it was it's almost comical. And so when you're sitting in the other seat, when you're not when you're on the buy side or or you're absorbing the sell side, it's like can we just dial that back? Because it's not real. We are not, I mean, it's not, the, the, I know the technology is real, yeah. the algorithms are real, but I mean, it's not real. It's not, I'm going to phrase that. It's not tangible to the, to these executives. Okay. And um, so it's, it's, I, and I use this in the book, we need a bridge. So if you can provide a bridge and it has, you know, great super strength bolts, I don't care what kind of bolts they are. I just want a secure bridge. And it's the same thing for my supply chain. I think it's great that all these startups and these tech, you know, tech providers have these, this AI and this machine learning, but I don't care that, you know, that's not pertinent to me. It's what business problem are you solving? And are you doing it in a way that's conducive to my operations? And that's the question. And almost nobody answers that question. I see your point. <laughs> We're all, I mean, that's why I wanted you here today is because I knew this was going to be a good conversation. I straddle both sides. So yeah. I've, I've been in digital transformation since we shifted from on-premise to cloud, which was around 2007. Um, I've got knowledge, uh, deep knowledge in most of the, the cloud procurement tools you've just mentioned. Um, I know where they are infusing some of that cognitive technologies but I agree with you the, the cognitive technologies are there so that we can fill a gap that we had. So if I step back, so let me step back now. <laughs> if I step back, uh, 2015, my, I, I reference this one a lot. Arden Partners came out with a study, CPO study that said, we are now moving from a strategic procurement organization into an agile procurement organization. And, and we've been doing that roughly for six years and we still have a lot of gaps. We still have a lot of um, challenges where agile was supposed to allow us to fulfill the outcomes and, and the customer needs, but instead we're still doing the tactical activities that we were supposed to have solved six years ago. And today I can walk in the door and I can tell you five out of six people are still doing the tactical activities they were doing six years ago. So this agile thing's not working, but the purpose or the intent of some of those cognitive technologies was to move us out of that agile state because that still has a lot of challenges and bring in these cognitive technologies to fulfill those needs, remove the tactical activities so that our procurement professionals can be more strategic value they can do more value-added activities. So I, I understand what you're saying, but I think there is some value for the, the technology. So the question I have back to you is, is it the values there, but when you're talking to the, 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 the sell side, they're not articulate correctly? Okay. Yep. Yeah, and, and look, I, the, the Cognitive technologies are there. I do mm -hmm. believe that, and I okay. do see evidence that they're that they're changing this. But what we're losing, we're getting lost in the buzzwords, 
okay. in lieu of actually going after the business problem. So I walk in pretty much my standard uh, approach is I can walk into any CPO's office and challenge them on their data management and their golden records. Do they have golden records for supplier, for material, for item, you name it. And they all kind of just that, they kind of like, well, no, not really. They, it's a little bit of hemming and hawing. And at the same time, these cognitive technologies have solved data management. Mm -hmm. Like if you put the effort in and use this horsepower of, of these cognitive technologies, you can solve your data management problems and you can have great golden records. So my question to them, my challenge is to them is why are you not doing this? It is unacceptable. I will tell them that it's unacceptable that you're not doing this. But if you are, but they don't like from their perspective, it's not, I need AI to go fix my data. It. It's we need a program with the right people and the right culture to go figure this out and make this a priority. So it's because I think that the the it's it's the Mars and Venus thing. Mm -hmm. The 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 cell side thinks that it's uh, hey AI will solve all your problems, and then the Got executives it. are like, well, I'm skeptical. Like that sounds cool. I'll even repeat that, but I'm skeptical that you'll actually solve my problem where it's, it's sort of, how do we meet in the middle? No, that makes sense. It, some of the, the folks are very optimistic that AI is gonna come in and, and solve the problem. So they come in and they, they push AI, not recognizing that they still need to come back. And we still got some, I'd say some lingering challenges that have been there for a very, very long time. And those are still there. And the technology that was there five years ago didn't solve it. So people are probably skeptical that why are you coming at me with, you know, a, a different color sword when the one, you know, five years ago didn't do anything different? Got it. Right. And, and these problems are multifaceted. So let's say you put in a, a coupon, a rebo, whoever, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. I'm not picking on anybody today, um, at least not yet. <laughs> um, but so you put it in and it was, it was sold as this, and it's true for ERP systems too. So it was sold as X and it was delivered as Y. So the end result is Z fine. Okay. That's fine. So then we start, okay. So, but Z is not what we designed. So we have to now start adding people to the process. We have to redesign the process that are going kind of left, right, center and around. Mm -hmm. And so you've got a lot of handoffs. The thing that I hate more than anything is cutting and pasting data from one system to another. That's very common mm -hmm. as we talk about transactional or, you, you know, in this operational stuff that we do, that's a waste of time stems from these these poor implementations these bad design and so even if you're going so I, so you have any digital end-to-end -end sort of environment if you walk in it, it's there's going to be a series of it, you can't just solve it with one tool because mm -hmm. what you have to do is start to unwind okay we're going to automate this little piece okay fine but now that's just showing that it, it, you know now it's uh, it, it, now we have visibility to a different problem that we didn't see and so and and so these so when I do a strategy we have to really look at you, you know how are we going to phase this so that because we don't want to over we don't want to promise we're going to fix this whole thing in three months and 
And the assumption is that, well, if I got AI, then, so then we can blast through all of this in three months and be <laughs> done. And it doesn't work that way just because there's too much complexity threaded from the digital system to the people in the process. And so it is really just kind of a, a mess of knotted yarn and we have to sort of very delicately tease it apart. I'm gonna shift a little bit to, I'm in the procurement organization and I've got all these things that I could potentially go out and buy that are gonna help me make better informed decisions, you know, augment some of my tactical activities. What is it that, that the procurement people should be asking? Like, the, the reason I ask you that is sometimes some, you know, folks will come to me and say, hey, I'm, I'm a manager or I'm a director in procurement. I'm the one who's got to go out there and facilitate the conversation, or I'm the one who's got to go out there and write up the proposal questions. But my questions are the same as they were before. And I don't think I'm really getting to the heart of how to differentiate between that company's and this company's and that company's. What should we be asking? Yeah, so, so I'll give you an allegory. We see this with job descriptions. Mm -hmm. So everybody's talking about how the procurement or supply chain professional needs to have these skills. Like you, you don't have to go far to see oh, what all these new fangled skills are, agile, design thinking, mm -hmm. data, this or whatever, analytics of that. But then you look at the job descriptions, they're the same job descriptions we've used for 25 years. Right. And and it's actually even the professional organizations uh, are perpetuating this problem too, because they're giving the templates, they're providing templates and th that's not helping either. So, because the templates are all old, they're all based on category expertise, commodity expertise, uh, negotiating skills, things that in general are important, but not critical. Mm -hmm. Because, you, so shouldn't you hire somebody that has these kinds of, newer skills, or at least add them to your job description. And I think that's the same thing is true for RFPs. And, um, and, and it, we have gotten into this collective stupor, I will call it of, hey, we, you know, who has the template for sourcing or for uh, running yeah. an event for source to pay systems. And it's the same. And I, I write about this too. It's we evaluate based on 300, 500, 1,000 oh. features. And, and who's perpetuating this? And I'm going to go after the analysts now. The analysts <laughs> are perpetuating this, right? Because th th this is the complexity of, of the dynamic, you know, this environment we find ourselves in, because everybody's got a vested stake in perpetuating mm -hmm. the status quo. And so the, the analysts, well, they, they crown, you know, whatever two by two they use, they're crowning winners, and leaders and laggards and whoever else, because it sells more of their services. Mm -hmm. But the reality is in my, my premise, and by the way, my book is written solely to take every piece of information that I have or experience as best I can and give it to people so that they have that knowledge and ex experience. And, and it, because the person writing that RFP to answer your question finally mm -hmm. is should have those skills to know that evaluating vendor X or startup X has all this great stuff. They should be able to figure out the difference between what you want to evaluate them on. And even better would be to do these proof of concepts or test and learns and, 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 and try it out 
and see the deal try before you buy. Mm -hmm. And hey, if this is really moving the needle in, in a three to six week sprint, I can figure this out and we can start to move in a very aggressive, we can move the needle in a very aggressive way. Yeah. I laugh because, um, so I have a story to share. I love stories. I laugh because I, I was with a um, Fortune 100 company and I'm talking to the procurement organization, CPO, CTO. We're all work, you know, I'm there just to offer, similar to you, just offer advice free. And they said, you know, how are we supposed to go out and measure these, these um, suppliers that we're looking for? And I looked at the list and, and I gave them, a, you know, a few more, you know, if you're looking, you should look, you know, at all of them. But ultimately I came back with, well, you know, they all kind of do the same thing. They all mm -hmm. do the same thing. They're all going to charge you about the same cost. They're all going to implement and, and do the services within the same amount of time. There's really only about five questions I can come up with that would truly differentiate between these. And then, and then I strongly advised, there's no need to develop a 300 page questionnaire. Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm such go. an advocate of like what you just said. So, and, and I, I mean, very open, very transparent and um, walked away. Cause again, I was just there for, for, um, you know, I was there to help them understand what the industry was doing and where the yep. industry is going and how they can navigate. And yep. uh, I did find out about a year later, someone got a copy of the RFP and he said, oh, there wasn't 300 questions. I'm like, oh, whew. he's like, there was 225. The 225 features don't matter. It only matters the 10 yeah. features you really need. Yeah. And, and yeah. I'm such an, I, I read your book. I have it actually right here next to me, but I'm, I'm an advocate of the book. I'm an advocate of, of what you're saying. I, I wish more people would speak louder because I, yeah. I don't think that, that people are out there listening. So yeah. people need to speak louder. Going back to the features, um, in your book, you said, watch out. I'm, I'm quoting because I have it written down. You said, watch out for a feature masquerading as a product. Yes. Yeah, so that's the question. And, and uh, Joel Hyatt, uh, who teaches at the Stanford Business School, I, I have to credit him for this. And he is footnoted in there or credited in the book. But, but oftentimes you will see these startups that the, the, they come in with something very cool. But then you have to ask, is this really a viable business model? Because the one thing that they are solving for, maybe it's part of a bigger solution. And and so this is being a little bit skeptical because just because something is cool and solving an immediate pain point doesn't mean it has the capability and robustness to be a full-fledged uh, tool for, mm -hmm. for the enterprise. And so that, that's the lens because even though it's exciting and cool, look, I, and to put it in context, I criticize the big players for just having this mass of technology that's semi-stitched together and just a big bloated mess. But the flip side of that is sometimes you have such a narrow solution that it's hard to imagine that somebody won't come along and just mm -hmm. replicate that. I'm gonna ask one more question around the technology piece and then I'm gonna shift over to the business side of this digital transformation. So also in your book, you highlighted the, uh, the trend, which I clearly see 
we went from at one point it was really good to go by the niche you know best of breed and then that was a really good trend and then suddenly best of breed started getting pulled into the suites you know the coopas and the jaggers and the ivaluas and the determine you know determine's probably the best example because it pulled all the best of breeds into one big company and then just resold it as a company um so then we went on this huge kind of very long cycle of where it was full suite and now with technology and the infusion and, and the ability to to get to that technology quicker i'm starting to see a shift in that trend again which you you articulated really well but i'm starting to see companies stepping away from that full suite and maybe getting part of the suite and then going out and getting best of breeding contracts or best of breeding sourcing and and now i'm i'm curious if if you're as the you know putting your futurist lens on are you seeing like this decoupling of of people looking at processes back in the best of breed niche players because as someone like you who who sees a lot of startups I think you'd have the best perspective on that question. Yeah, so I think first a lot of people got burned on the sweeps. Okay. Um, and so the that that uh, what showed up or what what was in what was sold in PowerPoint and even a demo, a very fancy demo, mm -hmm. time and time and time again was not delivered. Again, it's that the the sales pitch was x the uh, you know the, the delivery was y and z is the you know the way we're having to deal with it right now so so many people got burned that there was a collective set uh, sense of dissatisfaction amongst the the buy side paired with what we're experiencing now i'll talk about the vcs in a second but the uh, the, the CPOs and heads of supply chain, there's a new generation coming in mm -hmm. and they've watched, they lived through these, the, you know, that long period of time that you were talking about and the pain and, um, and the, 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 and they're calling, they're calling it out and they're saying, you know what, I'm not going to stake my career as a senior executive on, on, on prayers or false promises mm -hmm. and so they're 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 taking the same critical skeptical view that that i am and so there you can see this 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 the newer leaders and some of the older ones too it's not it's not an age thing but it is a a a willingness to do that um and and so i am sensitive to the yo-yo effect because uh, the question that I keep, so, you know, Scott, I lived through the best of breed to the acquisition, mm -hmm. and now I'm watching it, and I, I, I'm careful to not say, oh, we're just best of breed, decouple everything. I think what changed is that we have platforms now. So think about iOS, think about Android, right. think about Salesforce. These are platforms with all these plug-in apps, and that's really what I'm advocating for is that we're moving to platforms. And and I, I'm look. I'm not. I didn't come up with the idea. I just said we need. This is happening to procurement. And now, guess what? SAP Ariba is doing this. Coop is doing this. They both launched app stores this year. So it's not um, that. And that doesn't. It's not. It's not a magic button. It just means we're moving in the right direction. And uh, there's another piece to this 
that there is so much venture capital coming into, into procurement and supply chain startups. Uh, the number I have right now is $4 billion, and I think that's small, and that doesn't count the, the acquisitions. So there's just a tremendous amount of money, which means the, the value of these startups, the, even SAP and Oracle with the deep pockets they have, they can't buy their way uh, to, to, the, to the next generation. Even Coupa, their app store, I take that as an, an admission, and, and they've just started a ventures fund. To me, that signals that even they recognize they can't keep buying because it, you better to plug in and take a piece, like a capital piece, in in these startups than try to than try to buy them all. Because I mean, look, look look at just a couple of the so 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 uh, globality raised a Series E for 128 million dollars this 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 year. Interos raised a hundred million dollars on a billion dollar valuation. I mean, oh. these, these numbers are staggering. staggering. Oh that, my gosh. And these are just two, com- that's just two components of what I would argue are 35 capabilities you need in today's procurement organization, 35 plus. Right. So you can't buy your way out of it if you're down. I liked your comment about the, the new chief procurement officer. I am finding that the ones who are coming in now, they are, they have a different voice. Um, They are not, they don't feel restricted to be vocal about what they think is the right path or asking those, those questions. You, you, I don't know if you went too deep into this in the book, but you did just reference it that this new you know, procurement organization, or more specifically, the new CPO. Process first, business transformation first, digital transformation is is leveraging the technology to augment, to support what's happening with those individuals on a day-to-day basis, right? Yeah, and I mean, if we're honest and um, most, or direct, or you and I are probably the two most direct people so let's (laughs) let's go for it yeah if you look across the board there are a lot of weak procurement leaders and that's not to criticize or denigrate them they you know there's a lot of reasons for that so I'm not taking aim at them what I am marking though is that if you are, if we, and we go back to the comment you made a little while ago, mm-hmm. if we do transact, move all this transactional stuff, then, and we automate all that, and we, we do these things that we aspire to do, we, in, you know, we call it strategic activities, whatever you want to call it, agile or whatnot. If we can actually, if technology helps us achieve that, then most of the tasks we do, the most of the work we do in procurement today is going to get automated or become self-service to the business. Mm-hmm. So my question to these leaders is, then what are you going to do? What are your people going to do? So if you are, if you are a leader that is, that is not getting ahead of this trend mm-hmm. and really aggressively cutting through the nonsense and getting the digital stuff worked out in whatever way, and then moving to this more strategic agenda of pushing innovation or third-party innovation through your third parties, uh, pushing ESG, uh, uh, really driving a digital first approach, 
if you're not doing these things proactively, you're not going to survive as a, as a leader in procurement. There's just way too much scrutiny. You might had the pandemic not happened. Okay. These folks would have slowly matriculated out, but the pandemic has just made it front and center that these things are important. And uh, I mean, not only the pandemic, but the George Floyd killing and the response and uh, all of these elements that the, the implications are you just can't sit passively waiting for Greenpeace to show up on your front lawn and to take action. You have to get ahead of this. And, and this, is, this is the new reality. So that the weak leaders need to move on because, and, and by the way, there is this generation below them, mm-hmm. and it's not an age thing, but, but those that have been waiting and watching this, they're ready to kick the door down and, and, and walk in and take their place. So when um, you look at some of these younger procurement leaders, they're, they're awe-inspiring and I love them. And, and so that's the reality. I, I, I can't say you know, the, the name of the company, but I know I have a very perfect example of, of, of what you've just said. Um, a woman who's been in procurement, she's been there for probably a good 10 years, rising star, She just took on the chief procurement uh, officer role and the feedback that we hear about her internally is that she's on the rise, that she is going to be a leader within the company because she's asking the questions that no one else was asking before. And I think that's a perfect example of what you're talking about. And and I'll give you two more examples and they're both in the book. I mean, Len DeCandia, who's CPO at J&J, he... Mm -hmm. He, you know, he wrote the forward to my book. He's he, he's closer to retirement, um, but he, I mean, the what he set up there. I mean, they're you know very very um, advanced, and he's proud of it, and he should be because they they are uh, doing amazing things there. And then I also feature British Telecom or, or BT Source now, and Cyril, the CPO there. I mean, they are doing amazing things and Cyril I watched him and he or he watched you know he 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 used to abbreviate back in the day excuse me and so he knows he lived it he lived sourcing uh when it wasn't working for the business and so when you get to that level then you have the choice like when he because he took the role he had the choice uh to to do it different and he made that choice and he's had an amazing amount of success. And if you, if you don't follow them, you should follow what BT Source is doing because it is truly magnificent and awe-inspiring. So I, I feel like you and I could talk for a long time. <laughs> like yeah, maybe yeah. we need to go have drinks and chat, you know, more. But we are, we are wrapping up on our time frame. If, if I look at what we've talked about, we know we're, you and I are pretty clear. There's an impact to the procurement organization. These technologies are impacting the organization but it's the procurement's responsibility to really sift through and understand that impact and then be able to best leverage what's going to be value added for those business outcomes for that procurement organization, right? Yep, Okay. without a doubt. All right, and then as we were wrapping up, what are some leave-behinds? If I'm a, a chief procurement officer who's listening to this, I'm new to my organization, I've been here for about a year, what is something that you can that you can give them that they can start thinking about or doing right away? I mean, the first and foremost is is to is to both don't fear 
this technology, this, this analytics, this hype, this buzzword, but actually understand what it is and really roll up your sleeves um, and get it in, not into the details. You know, again, you don't have to look at the, the nuts and bolts on mm -hmm. the bridge, but really understand what makes, you know, this kind of a bridge versus that kind of a bridge and um, what's going to give you what's going to be fit for purpose for your organization. One thing we don't talk about because we try to we try to create these very nice, clean verticals, uh, the healthcare industry, the, uh, mm -hmm. the automotive industry. But if you are GM, your supply chain and your operations are a lot different than if you're Harley Davidson, which is a lot different if you're the, um, you know, the e-scooters. The e um, and, and there might be commonalities, but you also might find that a retailer that does a lot of significant real estate work uh, is very similar to say a high tech company that runs data centers where you have a lot of construction of new, new and a lot of construction and real estate footprints. So oftentimes these commonalities do not, they, they transcend exact these, these, again, the analysts putting them into nice neat buckets. And, and even look within the pharma industry, you could take the top 10 pharma companies, they look nothing alike. When, so. When we talk about technology and that finding that right bridge, we have to understand that our operations are gonna be slightly different than our competitors. And in fact, oftentimes our competitors are sometimes our customers. So um, in this crazy world, uh, especially with all the M&A. So the more we can understand what these technologies can do and the analytics and all the data and not fear it, but embrace it, that's going to make a tremendous um, difference in, in how we operate over the next 10 years. And, and so I just gotta say this, most procurement organizations have, F, have, an F, have half an FTE dedicated to managing the whatever big, you know, the big source to pay or ERP contract, mm -hmm. or in some cases IT owns it. But that's your livelihood. Your livelihood is the data that, get, that sits in those transactional systems, the data that you use to augment it, the analytics that you do with it. You need to like take ownership of that. That's not IT's domain, that's your domain. And so get in front of that, own it and drive the boss line. Brilliant, brilliant. I understand you may have some things in the works, which means we will be reaching out to you maybe seven, eight months from now and uh, get an update on what you're doing. Thank you. Yes, okay. uh, I, I, I actually was just announced last week that my, oh. I will have a new book. Uh, okay, I wasn't sure. Spring. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we definitely then will be reaching out to you <laughs> spring of next year because I want to come back and I want to continue this conversation. Absolutely. I Brilliant. would love that. Thank you so Thank much you. for your time. Thank you for having me. This has been a pleasure.